0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. How nice to see you. And um, uh, it's very nice to be here at the beginning of the next phase of the National Theatre's uh, discussions about the arts. Because for the last month, it's been talking about the last 50 years, culminating, of course, at the weekend in the, in the great big um, birthday celebration performance, which I imagine some of you will have seen either by being here or by watching it on television. But now, we are going to try to think forward to the future, and in particular, the future of how the arts and funding, uh, and um, theatre in particular, will be funded. And um, with me, I have a very distinguished panel of uh, people who know a lot about this subject. And um, so, starting from the left, on my left, anyway, we have Nick Starr, who is Executive Director of this very theatre. We have Helen Goodman from uh, the... Um, uh, have I just given you the wrong name?
1: No, but I'm, I am Helen Goodman, I and thought, I'm the Shadow thought, Minister for Culture. I mean, that doesn't sound
0: right. <laughs> no, it, was, it is Helen Goodman, uh, who is uh, Shadow Minister for uh, the DCMS um, in uh, Parliament. We have Marcus Davey, who is Chief Executive of the Roundhouse. And we have Barbara Matthews, who is now an academic, but has been many things, including for quite a long time, uh, the um, chief exec of by Bajal, that very, very famous theatre company, which I suppose does still exist.
2: It certainly but, does. Um, yes, it definitely does. Uh,
0: and, but, n- but no longer with you. No longer with me. Okay. It's
2: managing quite well without me.
0: Absolutely, I'm sure it is, but you are also <laughs> managing quite well without it. Good. Um, so... What I thought we would start with is just exploring a couple of uh, ideas that are buried in this notion of of funding, because the the proposition that's uh, at the top of your programme, as you will see, um, you might think begs some questions, but it says, will public funding for the theatre become a thing of the past? Will an increased reliance on philanthropy have an effect on the work? Well, there are a couple of things there that we... um, might want to explore, one of them being what what is public funding, and the other is what do we mean by philanthropy? Um, Because the economy of arts organisations now is actually very different from how it was 50 years ago, and very different from how it was even 20 or even 10 years ago, Mm. it seems to me. And perhaps, Nick, you and Marcus, as people who are currently running arts organisations, could just give us a picture of actually where your various bits of funding come from and where the public bit of it sits in that, Um, as a percentage, say.
3: Well, as a percentage, as a result of an increased turnover at the National Theatre, which may or may not last, but some of it will last because of the cinema broadcasts, public funding, which comes only from the Arts Council here, Um, has gone down to 20%, and that compares with 50% in the mid-70s. So a pretty rapid, a a pretty significant decrease.
0: But just to be absolutely clear, in cash terms, it's gone up a lot over that period. Oh, yes, absolutely. So massively. But in percentage terms, it has decreased dramatically.
3: It has decreased, and we had the great good fortune that just as the recent cuts... Were taking effect, and by next financial year, fourteen fifteen, we will have lost in real terms twenty three percent of the value of the grant. So, the grants been going down and turnover has been going up. That's why that big change. Um, but over time, public funding had increased, and there was a great increase in public funding which came into the theatre in the early years of this century. Um, and the National Theatre was very fortunate to share in some of that, and I hope made very good use of it. And what that enabled us to do was to take some, some bets on experiments. And some of those experiments are now paying the way and making up, principally Warhorse, uh, making up for the public subsidy that we have lost. So it, it looks like good thinking, but actually, it's, it's good luck, really. <laughs>
0: discuss <laughs> um, we, might, um, we might come back to that in terms of the, the politics of that Helen but, but in the meantime Marcus can you just give us a thumbnail of sure. the roundhouse
4: the roundhouse opened only seven and a bit years ago um, we, re-opened. Re-opened, reopened reopened, yes I should say reopened it followed a £30 million redevelopment of which about 40% came from nine different public and lottery sources and the rest came from over 3,000 Individuals, trust funds, corporations, etc. Uh, eight years ago, we received nothing in revenue funding, but now of our overall budget, it's about 9%. That has gone down slightly over the last couple of years, um, partly because our overall budget has increased significantly because of commercial work, everything from bars and restaurants and private events. Um, but also for the number of actual performances we put on, which has significantly increased since we reopened, from music, theatre, installations, and uh, circus events. So there's been a huge increase in the number of people coming to shows. So um, the audience has gone up um, well, from zero seven years ago to now um, it'll be touching on 400,000 tickets sold, but only a couple of years ago that was more like 220,000. So We've seen a significant growth at a time when actually our core resources have gone down slightly. Um, again, um, that hasn't always been by design, but by necessity in the fact that we needed to make more money to do what we want to do. But also, there's a huge audience will and want for there to be more for them to go to. So whenever we put something on, more people came. But also, over that seven year period, we've done things like a circus festival, and that audience for circus has grown and grown and grown, and now it's really quite significant, which means that when we put quite experimental stuff on, um, people come. It's with that core support of that public funding, by public funding I mean, um, coming from the Arts Council tax money, um, that has enabled us to be risky, experimental, but also developing work that doesn't find a home easily elsewhere. And so we've been able to build that work and find an audience for it, and keep going with it.
0: And, and just for the record, Nick made the point that the national uh, gets, the public funding that it gets comes only from one source. Is that true for the Roundhouse? Uh,
4: nearly. Uh, <laughs> the the money mainly comes from the Arts Council. We used to have money from our local borough council, but the borough council cuts have been significant. And if we t- took into account um, uh, rate, um, expenditure that we spend p- pay to Camden. Actually, we're a net funder of Camden.
1: Oh. <laughs> they wouldn't
4: say that, though, because they would say, obviously, that money goes to central government, but I do that as a bit of a joke. Hmm. which they really appreciated <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> So, Barbara, I'd like to come to you in a second about the impact of these changes over the last, let's say, 20 years on companies who are in the position now that Cheap Bajal was in 25 years ago. But before we do that, Helen, can you just give us a feeling about what you think, as a, as a politician who may have to take decisions about this in the future, what the value uh, of public funding of the arts is and where it sits in the kind of what you might call the hierarchy of need that politicians have to think about when they decide how they're going to allocate public funds to anything?
1: Well, we're very conscious of the fact that uh, obviously theatre and all us uh, spending is much loved by the public. So we have a total commitment to continuing with public funding. There's no question about abandoning public funding. And it's absolutely brilliant to hear from Nick and Marcus that Uh, given the times of austerity which we face uh, at a political level, they're still able to grow lots of other sources of income. I also thought that what Marcus said about the redevelopment was interesting because one of the things that didn't come out of the celebrations on Saturday, actually, was the fabulous building that we have here from Dennis Larsden. Now, it's really important that there is still public money for buildings, and that's true in London, but it's even more true in the regions because mm. it's no good us saying, oh, we'll support lots of companies in London and they'll all go out on tour if there's nowhere for them to go and tour. So I think when we're thinking about support, we've got to get the balance right between buildings, which are very important, between investing in the future, and that means the education and the training of people front of stage and back of stage, as well as supporting the institutions and the productions. And I think we need to ensure that there is a whole package. Now, maybe there are some income sources which uh, are better for some, uh, one of those three streams. Um, and I think some of you have more experience than well, I do. We, in, we haven't said impact. the word
0: lottery yet, have we? We have to, we have to say the word lottery because uh, lottery is a form of public funding, but it's a very different form of public funding from money from, from, taxed, from, ta- from um, taxation and it has gone in the main over the years towards capital spend which goes to your point about about buildings but um the, the the fact is that that there that there is a political return is there not depending on how you invest in the arts um in making sure that buildings and organizations are kept alive but you said something interesting you said we understand that that the arts are uh, funding the arts is very popular with the public. Are you sure that's true?
1: I don't think that art spending is as popular as the NHS. It wouldn't be true for me to make that suggestion. But um, I th- and I also think that it's really important that we finance the arts because there are fantastic economic spin-offs. And I mean, you've got lots of examples of that. Mm-hmm. I know. Um, But I just wanted to emphasise that as well as being a really significant part of the British economy, and in fact the creative sector being the only part of the British economy that's been growing recently, um, I just wanted to make the point that alongside that economic contribution, there is also the intrinsic value of the culture. Mm.
0: Mm. And emotional attachment that people feel. Exactly. So, Barbara, thinking then about how people... who who want to make things happen in the arts now might begin to think about how to do that. You started uh, with Dex and and Nick Ornrod quite a long time ago now, I think we'd have to say, wouldn't we?
2: Yes, that's the polite way of putting Uh, it. 1981 it was. (laughs)
4: So,
0: not not to spend too much time thinking about the past, but just, just for interest, was the availability of public funding at that point something that you thought of first or something that you came to later and how would you compare that with how people are now starting things up
2: Um, I think it's very different now actually Nick and Declan founded the company without me I joined them a few months later and they got Arts Council support for their very first tour that wouldn't happen now um, they went to the Arts Council and said, we, I think they'd only made one piece of work together before that. Um, we've had this idea, and it was a brilliant idea, and the Arts Council said, here you are, go and, go and do it. And Halfway through, they realised they'd quite like someone to help them manage it, which is when I, when I joined them. Um, but it didn't occur to them then to go anywhere else other than the Arts Council. Um, but then, equally, it was possible to go to the Arts Council. and um, Obviously, funding schemes have come and gone since then. Now, the lottery wasn't there now, a bit there then, and I think that the lottery is a very interesting influence on how artists starting out now work because, yes, they can very easily come in for 500, few thousand pounds to, to get something off the ground perhaps first, but not a major tour. Um, you'd have to have a track record of, of success and collaborations and partnerships and business models and impact and all of those kind of things. <laughs> And, and proof that it's going to be an audience, which is perhaps not a bad thing. Um, so the question is, how do you? you know, are the, are the rungs there? Which I think are harder. But um, in, in earlier life, until this summer, I was working for the Arts Council, and we asked um, somebody to do some research, and they went out to talk to individual artists about how easy it was or wasn't to get started to get funding. And it became very clear that artists of my generation and perhaps a little bit younger still thought that public funding was something that artists ought to have, and I think we probably all agree that they ought to have, and didn't necessarily understand how to navigate their way through a quasi-commercial, quasi-funded, not-quite-sure-what-world-it-is way. And the younger uh, artists automatically assumed that's what they would do. And I think you can argue from both sides which is, which is better. You could argue that the artists now are having to exhaust themselves, raising money, being politically savvy, or well, you could argue that actually the audience is much um, more pronounced in their thinking at an earlier stage.
0: It, and so Nick and, and, and Marcus, both, both of you have been involved with, or are involved with, organizations that have taken a very particular interest in emerging artists. I'm thinking, Nick, back to your time when you were um, chairing Battersea Arts Center, but also, Bush and other places where mm-hmm. where the specific um, brief was to look at what was coming up. And and what happens at the roundhouse mark is very much about the arrival of new young folk on the scene and, and trying to enable them to do what they want to do. Do you, do you see what Barbara's saying to be true, that actually the impetus now is much more towards you know, not looking to the public sources anymore, but trying to find other ways of getting stuff to happen.
3: Yes, I do, actually. I think there's a, there's a sort of... Um, there's normally a thought of it as a binary, that the, the junction between the subsidised world and the commercial world is, is, a, is simply a boundary. But actually, I think that there's quite a big territory there mm-hmm. of people who are driven by mission and who are relatively unideological or unconcerned um, about how, the mo- how they raise the money to do it. And I think there is a kind of freedom from a past ideology. Uh, and I mean freedom, not the espousal of, of a contrary ideology, which is, which is quite interesting. And certainly um, companies like... 1927 or Punch Drunk be a very good example of a big company. Punchdrunk Drunk, recently, we've helped them recently by co-producing with them. And what that actually meant was actually helping them put the finance together for a million and a half show. Mm-hmm. Now, their, their annual funding from the Arts Council is a tenth of that. Um, and as many people probably know, Punch Drunk relies on finding a building and then doing the show, which is provoked by the building and that always means that they're going to be needing to raise money at very, very short notice and put it on sale. It's quite an exciting idea, Um, which means that they need a kind of social enterprise funding model, which is, in fact, the one we put together for them. Um, Now, Felix Barrett is somebody who's completely unconcerned about whether the money is coming from the Arts Council or coming from investors or social investors or, indeed, some high-end retail brands. Completely doesn't bother, absolutely. Terrific freedom from that. He's got a thing he wants to do, and he's got a sense of the audience that he wants to do it for. Um, Now, I don't think that's the template for the future, because that would leave out what public funding has to do, which is constantly to be subsidising the audience in in some cases in order to make it affordable to see things. And on the other hand, to put the money into the research and development, the development, the developmental stuff, the emergent stuff, that would otherwise wouldn't happen. But I think there could be a little bit more recognition for this, what I'm calling this sort of mission-driven, non-subsidised space. It's interesting, actually. Um, there's a theatre just along here um, on the south Bank, which is well over a 1,000 seats, and it receives no public subsidy whatsoever. And it's called The Globe. Could we be talking
1: about... <laughs> it's called The
3: Globe. <laughs> the
2: Globe Theatre.
3: And what a very impressive enterprise that Indeed. is.
2: Indeed. It does when it tours. Mm.
3: And it does when it tours. Yes, Glyndebourne, I suppose, would be the case yep. also of a non-subsidised organisation and so on. Um, so I think what that says is... What is unlikable is the sense that public funding should be there by right... That there should be some entitlement to it. Um, because that then doesn't allow, and if one thinks about what, how to be accountable for one's public funding, I think you've got to say what role it's playing. It isn't simply the thing that plugs the gap between what otherwise would be a loss and gets you back to zero at the bottom of your PL.
0: Okay, Marcus, I'm going to come back to you about the particular artists who emerged through the Roundhouse because I can see that both Helen and Barbara are very keen to respond to Nick. So let's start with Helen.
1: Certainly, Anne. Um, I think the access point is absolutely crucial. I think extending access, extending reach is really important, and that that has a sociological dimension and it has uh, a geographical dimension. So I think we we are going to want to... um, hold your feet to the fire on that, really, uh, and and that that must remain one of the key concerns that that any uh, sensible government would have. Mm -hmm. But before I come to... Can I just
0: say, when we're talking about access in terms of, for example, keeping ticket prices down, that was done here by using money that didn't come from public sources... And I I think that this is one of the reasons why we really have to examine what we mean by philanthropy, don't we? Mm. Because, and maybe Barbara, that's the point you want to take up, because actually the cheap cheap tickets, marvellous, brilliant scheme here is branded with a commercial organisation, a commercial sponsor. So, you know, the way the model works, the way the public bit of the funding interacts with... Or the public mission interacts with the private source is also quite complicated, isn't
3: it? No, it's very simple. <laughs> it's very simple actually. Um, TravelX don't pay for the cost of cheap tickets. It's a it's a really really simple thing. You've got a, a as you know well, Jenny. You've got a. Theater, it principally happens in the Olivier Theatre, which seats just over eleven 1, hundred people. If you're not filling the seats, you and, and you you can lower the price and increase the the capacity. And then, um, which is great because it makes the public funding go a lot further. And also what what happens then is it produces an audience that enables slightly different, quite different actually in some cases, work to happen on the stage. Because um, because an audience in some senses pulls the work from the stage. Um, And then that is a branding opportunity, which there it is for the development department to see whether they can get a sponsor. And, and why apps. not, you would say? No, I mean, in the context of sitting here amongst just the few of us, we can say, look, that's a perfectly good way to go, which is to say, TravelX have stayed with that scheme, and, it's, uh, and they're the heroes. It's a hero brand. It's absolutely terrific. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's actually quite a simple relationship, not a difficult one. And I think that actually, at bottom, these relationships, whether they're sponsorship or, or individual philanthropy, are reasonably simple relationships. The big question, of course, and I'm sure we'll come on to it, is you can create those relationships much more easily in London than you can elsewhere. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Barbara, I know you've burst into Well, um, I'm going to say slightly different now. Nick just said that. But in a way, what you're describing to us, Nick, is the importance of all of these different bits of the plat being together. And what I was going to pick up on is what you said earlier, which in effect was it doesn't work when public subsidy is used to underwrite market failure because then we just make it easier for people to do things more cheaply than... um, necessary. So in other words, if something isn't going to sell sufficiently and all you do is make it a price where people will buy it, then that's very unimaginative and very um, ineffective use of public subsidy. And the reason why I say this is if if we just had a commercial theatre and the model of, of many commercial producers, which works extremely well, is to raise money for an individual project, Um, And so the ability to cross-fertilise or to give things time to to grow, develop, perhaps um, change tack halfway through, it's very hard for them. Some of them do it heroically, but it's very, very hard for them. But when you start to have a a model which that is happening alongside some public subsidy which gives time for a strategic view to be taken, and you tell me if I'm wrong, Nick, the opportunity, the strategic opportunity you've had to do that with travel X and to develop an audience is because you know you're going to still be here tomorrow. Absolutely. And that's the Mm. important thing. Mm.
1: Mm. Can I I just challenge something that Nick said? You can. You said the relationship was simple, but I was thinking during the celebration of the National Theatre on Mm. Saturday, I don't think people would really want Pravda brought to you by News International.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Neither would (laughs) News (laughs) International. I was going to say, I think...
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so or, indeed, or indeed, or indeed, Pravda brought to you by Guardian Media Group. I mean, a competitor. So there must be some issue about where the money comes from and what the mission is and how the mission and the funding source uh, are connected or are kept apart or how you manage that. Can I let Marcus pick that up? Because I think there
0: are actually... Issues there for.
4: I go Mm. back to Nick's story about Felix Barrett. You know, you go with the organisation that you think best suits your organisation. And, um, you know, I go right back to some of the younger people that we work with. And the theatre world may have changed a bit, but the music world has changed unbelievably over the last five years. Mm. So a young group coming into the music world now, it's completely different to what it was two years before that. Um, you know The way that they think about how they're going to set up, how they're going to find their funding, how they're going to get in, into the next rung of their, the ladder, it's no surprise that some of the, the, the chart-topping bands that we've had over the last few years have actually come from very privileged backgrounds. Yeah. The reason is, and I don't blame them for that, I think it's fantastic that they've made of something, that they have a skill and they've really worked it. They've had funding from families to get on with it. Um, The musicians that we are working with, and we work in spoken word poetry and circus and everything else you can possibly imagine from broadcast and radio and so on. Um, Take musicians particularly. They need a particular kind of support as an interface to the industry. It's it's not actually about um, the relationship um, of a funder, but actually it's about that relationship that goes to the industry. Um, With spoken word poetry, many of you in here um, will probably know of that. Some of you won't. It's you know the new form of... Um, well it's, it, it says what it does on the tin, really. Um, it's a wonderful new um, way. And of course, people say new way, but actually this has been going on forever. Um, <laughs> um, but there's a movement amongst young people that, um, spoken of poetry, is more sexy than music. And these groups are coming. They're forming collectors. They're finding work. They're finding work in the ways that... Um, some of our forefathers would have found work in, 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 in men's clubs or you know, working men's clubs and going around and going around and going around every single place they can and forming those places and performing where they can, apart from the love of it. But they also need support. Where is that coming from? Partly, they're looking towards crowdsourcing. I know we're going to get onto that. They'll go to their social networks, getting the audience in, but also they'll be getting 10 pounds here, 10 pounds there, 10 pounds there, 50 pounds there, and suddenly they've made enough money to actually do the thing they wanted to do. Then they'll get a support gig somewhere, and then they'll go up to the next stage. Um, In radio, uh, we run Roundhouse Radio. Probably two of you would have heard of this, but maybe most of you won't. Um, It's it's a training radio station. It's not actually... You can listen to it, Roundhouse Radio, but... um, it's now kind of getting known in radio in, in radio, in professional radio, as the Brit School for Radio, because 100% of the managers that have come through are now working professionally in radio. This is all interfaced with the industry. They're not looking for what I was looking for in the late 80s when I came out of college, which was when the young ones were on TV, and it was, give us a grant, give us a grant, you know, and it's all about give us a grant, and it's, that thinking has disappeared. I think that's one of the biggest changes that I've seen, is that mentality is just simply not there. It's about... And it's no surprise, I think, that creative people are also entrepreneurial people. They're the same set of skills. It's just that we're not allowed to think of them in the same way. You know, it's the communication, it's the teamwork, it's working on your own, it's all the other things that entrepreneurs are. They're also some of the great skills that we are as individuals in cre- creative people as well. So it's no surprising that the young theater company sets up, gets going, gets on tour, your example, within a year of touring the country, with probably a major grant, is that they are entrepreneurial and they want to find a way to access the audience.
0: Okay, so let's pick up on this point about, let's not be too London-centric about this because it's different, and Helen, I think you might have some things to say given where your constituency is. Um, And tie that into the question of um, what, are we in a, a moment when, I mean, we talk about austerity and everybody's you know been tightening their belts for the last six or seven years, and in some way thinking that it's going to get better and it'll all change and then there'll be lots more money and everybody will go back to where they were before. Mm. I personally kind of doubt whether that's the case, but I'd be quite interested to know whether any of you thinks that it, it, we, we are ever going to go back to a, a more liberal availability of public funds, but more importantly, are we putting the public funds that are available now and may be available in the future
1: in the right places? I think that is absolutely the right question to ask. I mean, I I can't envisage that uh, this government is going to increase... Uh, funding in this area and if there was a change of government I, I'm sure that in the in year one there, would, there wouldn't be a change but that doesn't mean that we can't rebalance and there was a fantastic report out last week which looked across the board not just at the theatre but at all the cultural spend and it found that the ratio of spending in London to the regions was 14 to 1. Now of course we've got great institutions in London and of course uh, the work that you do, all the outreach work that you do, benefits people way beyond London. Of course, that's true, but a ratio of 14 to one is very alarming. And I looked at the support for the theatres. The Arts Council supports 77 theatres in London and seven in the North East. Well, I mean that is, you know, very concerning indeed. So I think there must be some question about using the money better, particularly if you are as I am, concerned about reach and access. Do you want to say something about
2: that, Barbara? I'd like to make two points, I May. Um, it is, of course, true that lots more of the Arts Council's money is spent in London than elsewhere in the country. However, um, we shouldn't we shouldn't get too hung up on those statistics because of those 77 theatres, an awful lot of them are touring theatre companies who happen to be based in London, majority of whose performances are not given in London. So whilst I I don't want to detract from the overall point, which I think is valid, it's it's not quite as extreme as it appears, and and we miss some of the subtleties. But um, I've just moved to Leicester, and I find that really fascinating, having spent most of my professional life um, in London theatre or international touring theatre. Uh, And actually, going back to your point about uh, the arts are popular, Uh, Leicester's putting a bid in to be the city of culture, and my goodness me, has the city really, really espoused that right across all all different communities politically um, and and the arts organisations in a way that I found extraordinarily heartening and and everything else. Um, But there's no doubt about it that it's much harder for an arts... Organisation in a, and Leicester's, after all, the 10th biggest city. It's hardly a you know, deprived rural outpost of England. But it's quite hard for um, those organisations when there isn't a critical mass and when there isn't a long tradition of um, different funding sources and when this, the City Council, even though it's a fantastic supporter of the arts, is, is being squeezed, as yeah, we yeah. all understand sure. local authorities sure. are. So it's a very, very different... It, so I can say ecology. Sorry, I get shot for saying that. But it is a very different... Um, world out there Um, but it's also interesting in that um, because of the local authority funding or because of a real sense of place, the people in those arts organisations I think view the world differently from many of the London theatres who of course have a a niche artistically but not necessarily in quite such a geographical way which I think is quite interesting to observe
3: Mm. Marcus
4: Um, I suppose we can look at now as a blip or the start of how it's going to be from now on. And looking back over a number of years of public funding, they have usually gone slowly upwards with slow dips and then going back upwards again. Um, But as a percentage of the overall economy, of course, they've got smaller. Even during the labor years, they've got smaller. Um, I suppose there's a number of ways looking at this. One is that things will change for what I imagine most people will feel are not going to be much better for, the public, for public funding of culture, arts, in, in this country, or through the work of um, a number of organizations and um, networks like What Next, the group of arts organizations and now developing with audiences um, that will bring audiences much more on board to understand that public funding is important and I don't think there has been a thing, so much in this country, where people feel that arts funding is important. But when you bring audiences directly inside, and they can feel the power of it, um, behind the scenes looking, and I, when we talk about philanthropy, there are philanthropists. And when you bring those philanthropists right into the core of your organization, because they often, that's a great way to get much closer to your organization, as we've heard with Travelex for here. Um, they, they get to understand what it's like on the inside. And I remember when Jerry Robinson, and for those who don't know Jerry Robinson, when he became uh, chairman of the Arts Council quite a few years back, he was brought in from business and he kind of was brought in with a mission to kind of go and sort the arts out.
3: (laughs) Within a few months,
4: he went completely native and absolutely (laughs) fell in love with it and thought this was great value for money, um, that what we do, what the arts do, what you do, what we do for the country. It was a fantastic moment. And then arts funding went up like this. Um, I don't think we have to be shy about the value that the arts bring to this country. I'm not talking about the economic value. I'm talking about the, the thing that makes our lives, for many of us, our lives happier, more fulfilled, worth living. You, know, you only have to look at on the TV. Uh, all those wonderful programs like the choir, and the choir brings communities of people together through singing. Now, they're much happier doing that than maybe doing other things. The arts, another fantastic thing about the arts are they're non-competitive. So we're not fighting against each other to make ourselves happier, but actually we're (laughs) doing something together to make ourselves happier. And lots of research recently, both here and I'm hearing stuff about Sweden, is that you probably heard it on the Today program this morning, about singing, bringing people Mm. together. It makes us happier. And what are we looking for in life? We're looking for to be more fulfilled, happier, and have a better life. Um, And the core support of funding in this country has enabled us to develop our organizations as, you know, Nick has outlined for this organization, a huge development for this organization, for the Roundhouse reopening and becoming something much newer for large numbers of young people, Um, it wouldn't have been possible. It just would not have been possible. And you only need to look across the pond in that direction, you know, across to America to see that when um, the arts used to flourish and some of the great names and, you know, some of the people I love so much, like Laurie Anderson, Meredith Monk, and some of the others... um, where are those names now they're happening more in this country and in europe rather than over in america and it's extraordinary shift i think it's partly because we've had this bedrock of support for Mm. a number of years and if that can flourish and then us to bring our audiences to help them through what next for our own organizations then we'll be able to see a different trajectory to the one that we see now
0: i just want to explore just a tiny bit more this question about, when well, we've talked a lot about public funding, about the value of it, about the importance of sustaining it, the fact that it probably isn't going to grow, but we need to make better use of it. But what we haven't quite explored is the other sources of income, not box office, but other sources of income, whether they be genuinely philanthropic or whether they have some commercial um, uh, impulse behind them, or whether indeed they are... Uh, to do with lots and lots and lots and lots of people giving very small amounts of money. Two things, really. One is, is is this an infinitely developable way of finding money to fund the arts? And secondly, just going back to this regional point, because I think it is something people feel very strongly about. Mm. It is much, it is palpably much more difficult to find those sources in places other than London. And it is also, there's a question mark at the end of this, is it not? Quite difficult to get people outside of London to give money unless they can see the exposure that London offers somewhere in the mix. Question mark. Do you want to pick that up, Nick, and then we'll. Yeah, I'm happy
3: it. to. I think it, it's absolutely right. The, dif- the difference between. The ability to raise money in London and the, different, and the ability to raise money elsewhere is marked and probably there's just no point saying there's a template you should just whipping people to go and raise more money philanthropically yeah. I do think there are things however which can be done and probably means starting with boards and, and a kind of mindset about wanting to have a relationship with an audience some of whom can give you more than their ticket, the value of their tickets but that's probably starting from quite a low base if my experience going talking to boards around the country is right. I do think, though, having been involved with small London organisations like BAC and now the Bush, and in various other ways, the Almeida and Young Vic, that probably it is the case that if you are in London and you're running a reasonably interesting artistic policy, you can probably grow your fundraising. So I would say to... Any organization if you really want to do it you probably can and it's quite that is subtle that is quite subtle because actually the relationships with getting organizations who are pretty committed to the idea that they can't raise money round to the idea that actually it wouldn't be so terrible to let a few rich people through your doors (laughs) and they're probably in the audience already and you probably quite like them if you met them and actually it's a good and simple and honest transaction to allow people to give you a bit more money than they pay the price of their ticket mm. just put it exactly like that then i think you i think so i think in london there's probably a lot more money to be raised to be absolutely honest outside london i think it has to fall to public funding very largely and i think there is an urgent need for more public funding particularly in the regional theatre
2: and ask Nick is, of course, quite right that it's infinitely easier in London. But I do actually think that more can be raised in the regions as well. But we have to be really realistic about what percentage that is likely to be of the overall cake. And you have got to want to do it, and you've got to have the time and the money to invest... (laughs) before it returns. And if you're talking about large sums of money from a commercial um, sponsor, then I think it's incredibly hard. There are, of course, regional theatres and organisations who do it, but they tend to be metropolitan-based. But if you start to talk more of a crowdfunding, friends, um, supporters paying £25 a year and and accepting um, that way of doing it, I think more organisations could do more. But it may be that if you've only got a staff of three people... It, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever to devote the energy to doing that. When you might be doing... If you made the work better, maybe audiences would come in more quickly or maybe your Arts Council funding form would be filled in better. So that, I think, is the challenge. You've got to have an organisation of um, a size or have a leader who really enjoys fundraising. And if you're not careful, you've, you've started to raise money in order to pay for a fundraising department that don't return hmm. what you, you, uh, the investment.
4: Um, as someone who's spent most of his working life outside London in rural Devon and then in Norwich, um, I think there are pockets where money can be raised. Norwich, I found corporate sponsorship much easier than in London. I think corporate sponsorship in London is really quite difficult. Um, but I think that one thing the government could do, um, to be, which could be really helpful, is to encourage the general population to see philanthropy as a good thing. Now. Mm -hmm. That has partly started to happen through the Arts Council Catalyst Scheme, which is about um, encouraging individual donors to give uh, more money, and then this scheme matches that amount of money and gives you some core support for staffing as well. Um, So I think there's a, a, a philosophical thing that can go alongside the philanthropic thing, which is encouraging people to have that mindset where actually giving a bit actually makes you happier. Sorry, I keep saying happier, (laughs) but it does. And the research has shown that if you give something to something that you enjoy, Mm -hmm. then it actually makes you happier.
0: (laughs) And I'm afraid it has to be the last word because some people are going to come on here and do a play in
3: a minute. (laughs) And And we'd better
0: not still be here when they want to come on. So um, thank you very much to this panel who've really covered the issues remarkably, comprehensively in a very short time. And thank you very much to you. I'm sorry we couldn't take more questions, but thank you for being here.